Amen, amen. Well, good morning again, and um, we're so excited to have people in the room this morning, and um, <clears throat> again, we cannot wait to see all of you, not just a few here, but all of you here on May 31st. We'd love to have you here again. Just another note, we will not be having children's ministry on that Sunday, but you're more than welcome to invite the children because the Bible says, Jesus says, hey, anyone who hinders the children is not going to go well for you. So we're not hindering your kids. We actually want your kids here. Come on in. Um, but you'll be in charge of your kids as you already have been the last eight weeks straight. All right. So there's that, just a little nugget. <clears throat> but, you know, this, this morning we have an opportunity to, before we jump into the message, just to honor, um, uh, in light of Memorial Day, just to honor the men and women who have served our country and died. Um, many of us probably are connected to a grandparent or to an uncle or maybe a brother, sister, or a great-grandparent who has uh, fought in the war, who has served in our armed forces. And uh, we just want to take a moment just to publicly honor them. Um, I know that I, I have grandparents, and, and one of my grandpas, he fought in the Korean War, um, is still alive this day, praise the Lord. But um, he made that willing sacrifice, as many have done, um, in order for us to have the country that we have. And so on this weekend, I would actually encourage us just to take a moment today, at some point, pull out your phone and text somebody that you know has actually served in our armed forces. Um, and yes, Memorial Day is a day to honor those who have actually passed, but we also want to honor those that are making the sacrifice here and now. So thank you to anyone watching. Thank you for serving uh, thank you for even for your family members no longer with us for sacrificing so that we get the freedom we have in our land and in our nation. So grateful. All right. Well, <clears throat> today is week two of our mini-series. I won't say that often. I guess a mini-series. About as many as you can get is two weeks. And so one, one, one Sunday is a standalone and two weeks is a mini-series, okay? Three weeks is a full series, I guess. So we got a mini-series that we're doing, and this is week two, and it's called Emerging with Hope, all right? And so last week, Chris did a great job of sharing about this, and one of the things I want to read that he had said, he kind of defined biblical hope in these terms. He said it's confident expectation that God, I'm sorry, that good, which God is also good, but good is on the horizon, right? Confident expectation that good is on the horizon, or good is on its way. That is biblical hope, that good is on its way. But as we look at this emerging from hope, really what we're talking about is this, is this wilderness, call it the pandemic, call it the eight, nine weeks of shelter in place, call it the no longer classes on campus to jobs being remote to everything else has changed, that we look at this kind of wilderness season experience. And when we think about the characteristics it's, it's an unfamiliar place, right? We are, we are tested in every way. It's not normal. Um, your thoughts and your feelings may sway back and forth more than you're used to. And although the wilderness provides some sort of interest, I know that my boys and I like watching Bear Grylls, um, and uh, they've actually got a new thing, I think, on Netflix. You can actually kind of go along with it and pick the next thing he's going to do. If you don't know Bear Grylls, you should watch him. But what he does, he goes in the wilderness, and it looks so fun, you know, like how exciting just to take like a Swiss Army knife and to go live it up in, in, in the wilderness until you realize all the things that Bear Grylls has to eat. 
right? Um, he's not eating filet mignons. He is eating grub worms found underneath a branch, right? He is taking ants and drowning them in a bottle of water to drink to get some protein. Like, there is some weird, strange stuff Bear Grylls is doing. And in the wilderness, you have to do things so that you can survive. Because if you are not in survival mode, you will never emerge out of the wilderness. You'll be there forever, and you will die there. And that is not God's heart for any of us. That when we go into the wilderness, he knows we will be tested. He knows there's going to be challenges. He knows there's going to be trials. But he's also made us and equipped us and wired us with his nature to actually overcome those very things. In many ways, when you think about Jesus and his 40 days in the wilderness, why did Jesus go to such extremes? Why did, why did it literally say the Holy Spirit removed Jesus, took him into the wilderness after he's baptized in the Jordan River to then spend 40 days and 40 nights? There he is. He is fasting. He is thirsty. He is hungry. It is the desert. We know what that is. You've never been. Just whatever you've seen on TV is true. It is hot. In the day, it is cold at night, and it is destitute. It is sand and a couple of palm trees, maybe, with some cactus that hurt. That is the wilderness. It's this deserted place. But God, in his wisdom, chose to put Jesus in the most desperate environment, circumstances, with the Talk about, you know, you go to the store, they're out of toilet paper, right? I think toilet paper's coming back, by the way, but toilet paper's out, you know, bleach is out. Remember the first few weeks, you couldn't buy milk, you know, these kinds of things? Trust me, Jesus had access to none of that. He had, there was nothing at the store, in the desert, in the wilderness. But God somehow chose and decided to put Jesus in the most extreme environments so that what? so that he could be the model for us. And to say, how do you make it in the extreme environment? How do you make it in the wilderness? How do you emerge out of the wilderness? We're going to talk about that today. But God gave us the example, the model of Jesus who has gone all the way. That's why he can say, I know what it's like to be you. I know what it's like to suffer. I know what it's like to have these tensions. Jesus is actually the most relatable person in human history. He relates to you. He knows what it's like. So we'll get into that in just a moment. But I want you to know that the wilderness experience is not to be despised. It's not to be despised. The wilderness experience is not to be despised. It's not. Although we want to look at the tragic things. We want to look at the hard things. And we want to despise it. And we can be led to being bitter or angry or that we are left in this sorrowful place. And I'm telling you, the wilderness, the trials, the testing, there is an end goal. But notice it said end goal, which means to get to the end, there's actually a process to get to the end. Right? We don't like that. Right? We are the generation, I'll, I'll include myself in this one. Okay? We're the generation of let's just get there as fast as we can and avoid all the pain possible. Right? We're the generation of numb it. Don't experience it. We want to numb the pain. We actually want to clean the pain out of our systems. We want to sanitize everything in our path, potentially that could be harmful. 
Now, truth be told, this pandemic has exposed a lot of things in our country. I think we are aware of that. It exposed things in us. Not as our nation, it's us. It's, wow, I didn't know I was actually that insecure, you know? Or, wow, I didn't know I relied so much upon that thing. Or just be able to go to the grocery store when I want. Or to eat out on a Wednesday, because that's our norm. Like, you do not realize how many things we just took for granted and we assumed were ours, we were entitled to have until they're all stripped away. Then you realize, wait a second, did I really need that? I don't know. Did I really need that? Well, Jesus, what he really needed was to lean in on the Spirit of God for 40 days. So he actually showed us what it was like to have the most stripped down, bare bones, survival mode, no Swiss Army knife, by the way, to make it in the wilderness and to come out the other side. Now, Paul knows this story of Jesus, and he wrote nearly 2,000 years ago some verses that we cling to today, we need to be reminded of today. And Paul is not a man who had a pretty easy life either. I think we're all aware when you read the story of Paul, the Apostle Paul, and the trials and testing of faith he went through, he would be put in the category of someone who actually has authority to speak on the topic of testing and trials and suffering. But he overcame them time and time again. So what was it? Like what empowered him, what empowered Paul to press on, to keep going when it was bleak, when it was difficult, even dire? When his letter to some Christians living in Rome, if you know the history of Rome, they were not the friendliest of empires to Christianity around AD, AD 60, 70, okay? There was immense persecution. They were a minority group. And many believe that from the day of Pentecost, um, from that day when it says that 3,000 souls were saved, that some people there made their way back to Rome, being the major city hub on planet Earth at the time, and the, the saying, all roads lead back to Rome, right, all roads lead to Rome, that people made their way back from being saved, encountering God, made it back to Rome, potentially started house churches. Because Paul had not been to Rome to plant those churches. They already had happened. So he was writing to them, hoping to get to them, one day. So Paul writes here in Romans chapter 5, this letter to the Romans, it says this in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We'll continue on just a minute, but I want to pause there for a moment. Sometimes we miss how massive this verse is. It is massive. Compare this verse to other world religions. I'm not going to say all of them because I'm not some religious professor. I don't know all of them. But to most of the world religions, what you will find is that there is not a justification by faith, but there is a justification by works. And in that, you are left uncertain as to how you will be judged in the end. More or less, you will spend your entire life as a child into adulthood, into your older years, your entire life trying to tip the scales in your favor so that you are good enough when the time comes to be judged by your God. What a life! You don't want that life. If you're watching, you do not know Jesus, you do not want that life. That life leads to a place of consistent fear. 
But in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, he says, if you believe that you have been justified by faith, instead of justified by works, then you will have this unshakable hope because your salvation, your redemption, your eternity rests upon your faith in the work. There is work that was done, but not by you. And the work that Jesus did when he died and rose from the grave. You see, our we can approach eternity and approach the end of our days whenever that day comes with an unshakable hope because we know that when I stand before that judgment of God, that it is not based all of my works and that I'm just hoping and wishing that it did just enough, right? That like I helped elderly ladies a little bit more than I hurt them, that, that I... That I that I actually was more honest on my math test than I cheated, right? That I actually uh, served my mom a little bit more in the kitchen than I was selfish and played video games. Like, you're just hoping that the good and the bad game, eventually, that this God you believe in will say, hey, you're 51, 49, come on in. Right? Or some world religions, it's not even that. It's not just a, it's just, hey, you got to be 99-1. And so it's nearly impossible but the dangling carrot is, oh, yeah, just do enough, then you'll get there. Wow, I'm so glad that it's not Jesus because <laughs> none of us would ever get there. None of us would. So I love in Romans 5, it essentially lays out the main difference between following Jesus and being a Christian in every other world religion. And you're justified by faith, not by works. But let us be careful and remember that it is not faith without works. It is faith with the works. But it's not works first. It's faith first. And when you have that faith, you can't help but then want to follow up with the works. But the works are not there to obtain justification. They're there as a result of your justification. Therefore, we as a people have the opportunity, instead of living in fear, to live in peace. Isn't that good? Don't you want to live in peace? Notice I didn't say you're going to be perfect, but you can live in peace. Because your hope is upon him. Now let's continue on to verse 3. This is about to get good. Here we go. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, amen, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is good news. Now we're going to unpack this now. There's a lot going on there. It says, Rejoice in our sufferings. Now, what is that? I mean, who is happy about suffering? Nobody. You don't have to be happy. It doesn't say be happy about it. It doesn't say just, oh, you just need to enjoy this. This is so enjoyable. I'm suffering. Right? Like, this is not an illogical statement. Why? Because it does sound strange. But the actual Greek translation for the word rejoice there is actually boast. Okay, other translations say, so think of it, boasting in our sufferings. Meaning that we are boasting from a particular vantage point. Meaning that you see from a different perspective, different level, in the midst of the sufferings, you actually see what's really happening. Instead of like this, oh, I'm just suffering, it's cloudy. It's, wait a second, I can see what's going on, therefore I can deal with it. Right, so it's this boasting word. And that word, actually, in the Greek translation, the root word of that comes from the word neck in the Greek. 
which we all know without a neck, your head is not held upright. You need a neck. I don't know anyone that doesn't have a neck. Okay, you may have a short neck. You may have a long neck. You got a neck. That neck is needed in order for you to keep your head up. So what does it say? What is it saying here? Rejoice in our sufferings. Boast in our sufferings. So when Paul says boast in our sufferings, he's not saying be happy about it. He's not saying pretend it never happened. But he is saying live with a God-given confidence. Neck up, head up, confidence, because you can see above. You can't see anything like this. Right? You just, you can't see. Like if you're in a big crowd, okay, and listen, if you're in a big crowd and you can't see, what do you need to do? You need to get up somewhere where you can see. Get on somebody's shoulders. Find a rock, a tree, so you can see. Because if you can't, you're stuck here. You're stuck here. He's saying boast means, hey, pick your head up. Look up. Have a confidence about you. See, it's about how you carry yourself in the wilderness. Right? It's not just, oh, we're going to make it one day. Did you know, even in survival mode, you can carry yourself. That's why I like watching Bear Grylls. The guy's hilarious. He's having a good time. He's cracking jokes while he's suffering. It's like, I don't understand. He just ate a grub arm, and he's making a joke about it. Now, I know he's on TV, but that's something for us to learn from. When I'm eating the grub worm, when I'm eating the leftover meal for the fourth time in a row, I'm just glad I have food. Or I wish I had something different. Do you see? Two people sitting side by side in the same house, they could even be twins, can respond to that suffering completely differently. Even though the circumstances have been exactly the same, which tells me it has very little to do with everything external. Everything to do with the internal. God's inviting us in to something different. And I love that it's Memorial Day because I think we could all agree the best posture in America is the military. Right? They actually train you like this. Chest out, head up. I mean, do you see, do you see? Military marching like this? Wow, we're really going to win the war. Yep, feeling pretty confident. How about you? Man, I'm, this guy's like scary. I'm like terrified, you know? No, no, you can be here. Hey, we're completely outmatched, outmanned, outmaneuvered, but we will have confidence we will win anyways. Do you see? It's a difference. Your posture matters. With my kids, I'm helping train my children. And since the Bible calls us all children, I'm training you as well. Which means you need to have your shoulders back, your chest out, your head up. That posture says something about who you are and how you represent yourself, how you carry yourself. Which is why Paul's saying, boast. Not in you. Boast in him. You're boasting in the sufferings because you're like, bring it on. Bring it on because I know this is going to end. The wilderness does not last forever. You see, um, Paul encourages us to boast in our sufferings and then has this phrase there in that verse that says, knowing that, and it goes into the list, right? We know knowing that, and we'll get into those just a minute. But that word knowing, right? Knowing. In the New Testament, there are different Greek words for the word know, right? I think we're all aware that Greek language is a little more complex than our English language. Um, and you've got a couple of words I want to highlight. Typically, you may see the word knowing and translated in gnosko, 
which is to be taking in knowledge or to come to recognize or understand. It frequently indicates the relationship between the person knowing and the object known. That's gnosko. It's also another form of knowing, which is oida, which is to have seen or perceived, to know from observation. So what is the difference now that you have no idea what I'm talking about? I'm about to tell you. Gnosko suggests progress in knowledge, while oida suggests fullness of knowledge. It's a difference. And they're, they're used in different ways. So there's either a progress of knowledge or there's a fullness of knowledge. So which word is being used in Romans chapter 5? Oida, fullness. Fullness. It's not in process. There's a fullness of knowledge. So when he says no, what is he saying? Let me put it this way. It'd be like sitting around talking to your friend who's in a dating relationship and you're sitting there, and let's say you're a guy asking your buddy, and you're like, hey, man. And, and you're thinking, you know, you're thinking, hey, they're kind of getting serious here. We're getting close to proposal time, you know, engagement phase. So you're sitting around, and you say, hey, bro, do you love her? And if the guy responds with, I mean, I think so, okay. That's probably the gnosko type of knowing. I, I think I'm there, but they're a little hesitant, right? But what if you say, Hey, bro, do you love her? It's like, absolutely, yes. That's the fullness. He's already decided. There's deep conviction. There's resolve. Deep places of, heck, yes, I love her. I've already saved up for the ring. I'm ready to go. That's a difference, right? And we all know, I can go and just say the elephant in the room. We all know that, man, a woman would love to have that man dating her to get to that point where he just knows. He's not putting that ring on a little squeamish. Ah, I don't know if it fits. Let me go back and get it resized. I'm just saying. We experience that in our culture. You know why? Because we live in an uncommittal culture. Uncommitted to church. Uncommitted to marriages. Uncommitted to Jesus. Uncommitted to jobs. We live in a decommittal culture. Man, he's inviting us in to say, hey, if you know that your faith rests on Jesus... You've committed to him through thick and thin, and so it's going to get hard at times, and you will endure because your faith rests on him, on him, and he will pull you through if you lean in and cling to Jesus. So there's a core belief associated with this kind of knowing. It's a deep soul, heart, and mind type of knowing. You see, God created us to be holistic beings, right? Meaning that it's not only our circumstances or the status relationships, or internal thoughts and feelings that by themselves are the knowing, is the culmination of our heart, mind, body, and soul, which is why I believe in many ways Jesus summed up the entire law and prophets by responding to a question and saying, this is how you sum it up. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. What he's saying is you got to love me with your whole being. Which means when we talk about knowing, and enduring a wilderness or a trial, you've got to know but to know. <laughs> you will make it on the other side and that Jesus is the one to pull you through. It has a fullness to it. So let's use this phrase as we go through this process, really, because really we're about to read, it's a process of transformation so that we can be more Christ-like. Remember, Romans 5, oh, just remember, pretty much the entire Bible is about Jesus, okay? So New Testament, Old Testament, all points back to Jesus, 
prophetic word about Jesus, something about Jesus, a prototype of Jesus, however you want to use it, the theological terms. It's actually all about Jesus. You just got to dig hard enough and realize, oh, that's about Jesus. Jonah's about Jesus. Moses is about Jesus. Noah's about Jesus. Adam's about Jesus. Everything's about Jesus, okay? So just, who's the Bible about? It's about Jesus. Let me tell you about him. That's a great gospel intro for anybody. Just walk, just walk around this grocery store. Hey, what is that? It's a Bible. What's that about? It's about Jesus. Let me tell you about it, right? Might be kind of weird, but hey, who knows? People get saved and matter. All right, here we go. So we're talking about Jesus here. So knowing that suffering produces endurance, right? We're going to use this phrase, knowing that suffering produces endurance, right? So if you are a runner, okay, or an aspiring runner, some of us became aspiring runners or walkers during the last eight, nine weeks, okay, that's cool. Everybody, doesn't matter what pace you go at, just go at some pace. So if you're a runner and you decided, you know what, man, I'm really going to get in shape here, you know, and you decide to go walk one mile every day, the same time, the same one mile, not a step more, not a step less. You rock one mile. You're going to become really good at that one mile. People go, man, you are great at the one mile, right? I would not say that you actually increased your endurance. You just got really good at one mile. Did the same thing over and over and over and over again. But you didn't push yourself. Now, maybe it was hard the first couple of days when you got to the mile. But if you stay at a mile, you won't really grow. You won't develop new muscles. You won't really feel a whole lot of soreness. Same thing in weightlifting, right? You can go in and lift weights, and let's say you're going to go, and you're a dude, you want to get jacked, you're going to the beach soon, it's summertime, right? We all know what that's like. Um, so, you know, and so you're, you're going to go try to get in a weight room, okay? And so let's say you go in there like, man, I'm so excited. I'm going to get, a put on, you know, get on the bench press. You put the plates on, you get both 45s on there, and you start going. And then next week you come back, you still got the 45s on there. The next week, and so you're on this like 12-week weightlifting plan, but no one told you to actually to increase the weight, just to do the same thing over and over. You're going to be really good at that, and you'll probably get some toning going on. You are not building a lot of muscle mass because you're doing the same weight, the same repetition, but you're not being pressed. Therefore, when it comes to exercising, and I love, it's like the brilliance of God, right? You know you are growing and developing when you are sore. Isn't that the wisdom of God? Don't hate soreness. When you wake up sore, be like, oh, I'm sore. Be like, ooh, I just got stronger. <laughs> right? I just got more flexible. Yo, I'm feeling, yeah, this is, look out tomorrow. Here he comes. You know what I'm saying? Look at soreness not as a negative, but as a result and a fruit and a positive of you pushing and creating endurance, more strength. Right? You go for that long run. You start feeling that cramp. You know what I'm talking about. You want to quit right there. If you quit at that cramp, then your body, you just like, okay, great, I'm not going to build endurance. you got to go through that cramp, get to the other side of the cramp, and your body's like victory. God made us so that we actually get sore on the other side of enduring this suffering. And that's what builds strength. Have you ever been rejected by somebody when you share the gospel with them? You say, can I pray for you? They're like, no, thanks. Maybe you said, hey, can I tell you about Jesus, and they just curse you out, right? I've had that happen to me, not just in America, in other countries, right? It's the same everywhere. <laughs> um, but the first time it happens, you kind of have to go back and, like, worship and pray for, like, an hour. You know what I'm saying? You're like, oh, man, am I even saved, or what happened, or was my tone off, or did I? Now, listen, the first time you share the gospel, you're going to butcher it. I know. You know, it's like, you're so, like uh, God, he's good. He's got this son, Jesus. I don't know what I'm talking about, you know, but he's 
kind and do you know him? And you're like, what are you talking about? You know, just, we've all been there. It's so awkward. You know what I'm saying? And you're like, it's like you're like fumbling around with a sales pitch. You're like, why am I feeling awkward about this, you know? So just, you know, the default to sharing Jesus is share your story and how Jesus has changed your life. And remember, share the story that's not really about you. It's about Jesus changing the ugly you, right? That's a great testimony. I was ugly. Jesus came and made me beautiful inside and out, right? So, <clears throat> but when you share that gospel, you get rejected a little bit, right? But trust me, when you're on that mission trip and you're on now like round 35 of sharing the gospel, the fear has just gone like, you're just, you're lasered in. Why? Because you know you're looking for the person who wants it. And you know the hope Jesus provides when they hear. And so when you go after it, you key in. You're like, this person's hungry for Jesus. And you go after it. And even if someone's like, oh, I'm good. You're like, no, 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 bro. You really need to sit down. You start getting a little more confident. It's like, no, 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 I love this guy. You guys don't know him. His name's Terrence Hicks. Used to be at our church years ago. Oh, we got some Terrence fans. Terrence was one of the most unique people I had ever known in our church. Um, and if you're watching, Terrence, I love you, man. Thankful for you. But Terrence, I would go meet up with Terrence on campus, and we'd be doing discipleship. Um, Terrence was in the Corps of Cadets. Karen, Terrence was also, I believe, he's a saxophone player. He also was on the wrestling team for A&M and could probably beat up everybody. But Terrence, to this day, I do not know another person that walked with more confidence when he shared the gospel. He literally walked up to a cadet one day and said, hey, he's like, yes, sir. He said, do you know Jesus? The guy's like, uh, no, sir. He's like, sit down. Let's talk about Jesus. <laughs> yes, sir. Just sit down. You know, and just, but it wasn't, it wasn't. It, it could come across threatening, but to be quite honest, five minutes in, this guy was like soaking it up because he had confidence. He's like, he knows. If you know Terrence's past, he had to go through a lot of stuff. And when you've been in the dark and you know what it's like to be pulled in the light, you will go after people who are in the dark and they say, no, 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 there's hope. You don't have it. I have it. I'm going to give it to you. You can despise me, throw a stone at me, but I'm going to give it to you. Oh, I love that kind of confidence. He walked with this confidence, this this, this evangelist in him just came alive because he saw the hope. He knew what it was. He had a resolve knowing that's kind of resolve he won. It says that knowing that endurance produces character. Knowing that endurance produces character. So we go from suffering, endurance, but then endurance produces character. You know, the difference between having your first child and your third or fourth is pretty massive, Right? Your first child, whether you're the husband or the wife or whatever, the mom or the dad, your first child, um, you don't know what you're doing. I mean, you are insecure. You've already read books and articles. You've watched some YouTube videos. You know what I'm saying? You've gleaned some from other people and discounted their other information that actually was accurate because you're an idealist. This is what we all do. We all think we can do better than everybody else, right? And so you have your first child, and my gosh, you're like, the sleep deprived. I remember talking to someone at our church a few months ago, and they're like six months into their newborn. I'm like, how you doing? He's like, we haven't slept, man. I'm like, yeah, you don't look like it. I mean, you look, you look pretty bad. He's like, uh, just, you know, everything. And I gave him a couple nuggets of advice, and because about a couple weeks later, he's like, man, now we're sleeping. I said, great. I said, we well, just, you know, I spent six to eight months not sleeping either with our first child. I learned my lesson. And I don't do that anymore. <laughs> I gave some parenting tips, right? Because I had endured and gone through the trials and the suffering 
of having a firstborn and not knowing what in the world you're doing. When you, by the time you get to a child three or four, you figured out a few things. And actually, you have less time and energy to devote to that child, but you actually do it better. Isn't that interesting? Like, I think we're actually better parents now than we were with our firstborn son, Ethan. I love Ethan, and he got our worth because we were, we were, we were newbies. We were rookies. Your third, fourth, fifth child, it's like, hey, mom and dad have got some things figured out here because they've endured and gone through the trials. That's what Paul's saying to us in terms of our walk with Jesus, is that there is, we do not despise the trials and suffering because it produces something good and endurance, and that endurance produces character, that character inside of us. For a lot of us, we've been challenged in the last eight, nine weeks on our character, right? Have we actually worked from home or taking a little extra liberty to check social media or to look at fun articles or to take extended lunches or long walks? It's between you and God. But in the midst of a challenging season, could you stand before Jesus and say, I honored you and honored my boss or honored my professor the work that I did. That's between you and God. But that's what he's calling us to live. That's the standard. It's not our boss is not the standard. Your professor's not the standard. Your spouse, your roommates aren't the standard. Your standard is actually him. You're accountable to him. In this season, the real character revealed of, hey, if you're a student, <laughs> did you actually do all the online work? Did you do the coursework? Did you read the stuff? Or did you just try to do the bare minimum and chalking it up to, well, it's the pandemic, and so we're just going to do half-hearted approach? That's okay for the world. I don't think that's okay for Jesus' followers. We're called to lead the way. We're called to demonstrate something different when others are doing something. Will you be faithful? See, out of this suffering phase produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And we're being invited in to press in because that character then will produce hope. And that's where we're going to land with today, this hope. And remember, this whole process that Paul's writing about and for us today, it's, it's about us becoming more like Jesus. Paul's giving us a process that he actually has had to go through, that Jesus' model demonstrated for us, and that he's inviting us into as well. So when you think about the last eight weeks, maybe ask yourself, what was really produced? Maybe you haven't answered that question, but maybe ask it this week. Wake up tomorrow morning, get your journal out, and say, God, what was really produced? But not only do you need to answer that question, you probably need to ask the people who live with you. Uh, can you just be honest, but probably, you know, do it over a cup of tea or something. Just everyone's with some snacks, you know, just, can you tell me what was really produced? <laughs> Make sure your heart's ready because they're probably going to say, well, there's some good things produced, no doubt. I think we'd all be fools to say that everything produced out of this was just glorious. I think it's exposed things in us, guys. But that's okay because we believe in a God that's king of forgiveness and mercy, and grace. We actually started back in the office last week as a staff, and I told the whole staff that morning, I said, guys, the next two weeks, we need to extend grace. Always, but a little extra measure. We need to extend an extra measure of grace the next two weeks, because this is challenging coming out of this. And so I would say to you, just extend grace to people. Um, it's been challenging. It's been difficult. It's been weird. It's been strange. All those things, this 
pandemic, the last nine weeks, the, everything has happened. It's just been so odd. But it doesn't mean we lose our hope in the midst of the oddness. It doesn't mean we give up on the Word of God or on Jesus in the midst of all of it. Remember when I said that um, in verse 3 it says rejoice, and that little translation is uh, to boast. When you walk with your head up, right, with your neck holding your head upright. You see, when you know where you're going, when you know that the present sufferings or discomforts or trials are momentary and not eternal, then we can obey what it says in Colossians 3.2, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. To set our minds on the things that are above, not on the things on the earth. Because then we will have a great hope, no matter how bleak or uncertain things get. Because that wilderness does not last forever. So what's on the other side of that wilderness? What's on the other side of the wilderness? It's hope. The last phrase it says there in verse 5, it says, knowing that hope does not put us to shame. Really, because on the judgment day, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then on that day you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we will have no reason to fear humiliation or rejection because you belong to God. You may experience it on the planet Earth, you will not experience that before him at the end of your days because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And remember, the Holy Spirit seals us for the day of salvation. So what is this saying? Paul's saying, guess what? Because you've been justified by faith, and not by works, because your entire uh, um, uh, redemption story is based on the work that Jesus did. Therefore, no matter what this world throws at you, no matter what trials come, how big or small they seem to you or to everybody else, you can endure. And in this process of enduring and suffering, it produces character, and character produces hope. But that hope doesn't just come. Remember I said earlier we're this generation of just wanting the shortcuts. Hope is not a shortcut. It has to go through a process, because you don't really know what you're made of until you are tested. But if you cling on to that hope, you know we will emerge out of this wilderness. We will emerge with hope. So let's stand as we close this morning. As the band comes on up, I wanted to end with urging us to, to be people that actually emerge with hope. And again, I don't know for anyone who's watching, anyone here this morning, I don't know what your last couple months have been like um, and there's been discouraging things that have happened in each of our lives some of us have experienced death some have experienced job loss some have experienced broken heartedness over relationships some have experienced trauma some have experienced all sorts of things in our homes or outside of that but here's what I know is that this wilderness doesn't last forever and that God's inviting us in I believe corporately as a church as a people to emerge now not tomorrow, not in three weeks, to emerge now with hope. Because the emergence of hope is placed on the back of Jesus. Not on us reopening, not on going back to school, not on being able to get takeout food again, or the government gives this guideline or that. Not in your ability to do this or that. It's actually not what it's about. We emerge with hope, not because of any of those things because of what Jesus has done. He's made a way and he said, guess what? You're gonna honor me with your life no matter through the thick and thin because in the end, you're safe, you're secure. 
You don't have to live in fear. <laughs> you live in peace. So I want to invite us this morning as we close, just pray with me. I just want to just pray a prayer of declaration this morning over us as a church, as the people of Antioch, and that God would begin to stir our hearts again. So Lord, we just ask right now in Jesus' name that you would come. Come into every room, come into every heart, every person watching this morning, this evening, next week, God, every person that watches this. Lord, I pray they would receive just a fresh word from you to say that the wilderness seasons are there, but we can always emerge with hope. We can emerge with hope that we can emerge with hope now. It does not have to mean some other circumstance changing. It does not have to be something else reopening. It is the emergence of hope that is within. It is the deep knowing. It is a boasting. It is a neck held high. It is a head up towards heaven saying, God, you are my hope. You are my reason. You are the one that satisfies me. So Lord, I ask right now by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you come and stir up the wells again? Re, re, just reemerge the faith in people right now across our church, across our city, across our landlord. Let the revival start in people's hearts. Let it emerge with hope. No longer disappointed, no longer discouraged, God. No longer looking at everything around us, but looking towards you and saying, Jesus, you will make a way when there is no way. You will provide something when I don't see the provision. And Lord, you will give me hope beyond what I can fathom or even comprehend. Lord, we trust you and we ask that by your Spirit's power, you would come and allow the people to emerge with hope, to emerge with rejoicing, to come with a stronger character and endurance that is, that is more and more like you, Jesus. That's our heart's desire, as we be more like Jesus Christ in these days. We love you, we thank you, and be with us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.